This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Electronic cigarettes were first introduced in China around 2003, and they made it to the United States a few years later. With time, they've become extremely popular, and their use has increased dramatically over the past decade. Yet there are questions regarding the safety of these devices, and unfortunately, we don't have good data regarding their long-term health effects. What are the risks associated with the use of these new delivery systems? Are there carcinogenic products found in these devices? What effect have these products had on our youth and their smoking habits? Could these products possibly be helpful in getting people to stop smoking traditional tobacco products? Here to help clear the air and answer these questions is Dr. Taylor Hayes, a general internist in the Division of General Internal Medicine and director of the Nicotine Dependence Center at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Welcome, Taylor. Hi, Daryl. Thanks for having me. Well, there's been an evolution of these products over the past, what, 15 or so years, and maybe you could explain the confusion regarding them. So tell us about the difference between e-cigarettes, vaping, uh, and these newer products, the heat-not-burn products. Yeah, it it makes us um, almost long for the good old days when all we talked about were cigarettes, cigars, and and chew. It was simple, right? We understood. Tobacco was all harmful. And now we are faced with a new array of tobacco products and new technology to deliver nicotine. And, and physicians are being asked about it, and they don't know what to say. No, we don't. So <clears throat> electronic cigarettes are devices that heat a liquid that generally contains nicotine, but not always, creating an aerosol. So it's suspended particles. It's not truly a vapor. And then those uh, particles, that aerosol is inhaled through a device, uh, and you get absorption of the nicotine, if that is included in the solution. You get absorption through the lining of the mouth, the throat, and some in the lungs as well, so similar to cigarettes where nicotine is absorbed. And the point is to deliver nicotine. Nicotine, of course, causes dependence and causes craving and urges to use and and, and uh, that positive reinforcement from nicotine keeps people using e-cigarettes just as they do regular cigarettes. So when we talk about electronic cigarettes, the, the one of the problems and the physicians um, uh, who are facing this will recognize this problem that it's not one thing, right? Every year, every few months we hear about new technology and we are more recently been we've been hearing about the pod variety. Mm-hmm. The jewel is the classic one. And so that's an electronic cigarette that delivers nicotine in the same fashion. It heats the liquid. Um, the difference is that it's now they're able to deliver very high levels. So electronic cigarettes um, are <clears throat> typically refilled with electronic cigarette juice, they call it, Mm -hmm. the liquid. And that contains various amounts of nicotine. One of the problems is the labeling is not necessarily accurate, but let's assume it is. And so they vary anywhere from three or four milligrams at a low dose, 18 to 24 milligrams at the high end. The pod variety, the Juul and other pods that are out there, 
they use a, a solution called nicotine salts. And um, I'm not familiar enough with the chemistry to describe it in detail, except to say that there are benzoate salts of nicotine, and they're able to deliver a higher concentrated nicotine. So now these pods contain 35 to 59 milligrams of nicotine. We assume that about a, a cigarette has about a milligram of nicotine. So now you have a pod that contains almost 60 milligrams. That's the equivalent of about three packs of cigarettes. Wow. So the new devices are delivering a lot more nicotine. And so that was a long explanation to say the technology for e-cigarettes has changed tremendously since they were introduced back in 2003, 2004, and it changes regularly. And the other thing I'd say is this. The number of devices that's available to to adults and youth, unfortunately, is in the hundreds. The last time I looked, there were probably 700 to 750 devices available online. So the e-cigarette, although it's gone through some evolution, it's the same as vaping? Are these two terms equivalent? So yes, it's, it's been called vaping. Okay. And even though, as I mentioned, it's not a vapor, it's a it's a, mm -hmm. an aerosol, but that's generally what it's called. And if you look up vaping online, that's what you'll find is okay. electronic cigarettes. Right. Yes. Now, what about these newer products, these heat not burn <clears throat> devices? So what, what we're the, the general term that I think we all now will like to use is heated tobacco. Um, and the tobacco companies have called it heat not burn. Um, so... The reason this is timely is because on April 30th of this year, the FDA approved the first heated tobacco product for marketing in the U.S. by Philip Morris International. That product is called IQOS, I-Q-O-S. Um, and uh, the um, backstory is that that stands for I Quit Ordinary Smoking. And so Philip Morris International, PMI, is now, has been marketing this internationally for a number of years. It was introduced in many markets in 2014-15. Japan probably has the longest experience with it. Uh, they were introduced in 2014, and it has really taken that market by storm. But it's available in a lot of Europe, in the Middle East, and elsewhere. We, this is the first of these products that's been introduced in the U.S., um, so it's been approved for sale in the U.S. I don't know when it will hit our shores, but the invasion will start, and that just complicates matters more. Mm -hmm. These products are not vapor products, e-cigarettes. They actually um, are a device that uses a rod that is tobacco. It's uh, wrapped in paper like a cigarette. But it fits into this device, um, and the device has a... Um, a blade in it, and when you slip the rod, the tobacco rod, down into the device, that blade goes into the tobacco, and that blade heats up. Mm -hmm. So it heats the tobacco to fairly high temperatures, and then you you truly do inhale a, a it's a it is an aerosol still, but more vapor like uh, through that through that device. They're very fancy, so they're they have um, computer chip in them. The newest generation now, Japan is on the third generation ICOS. They have Bluetooth connection. <laughs> and what's scary about Bluetooth connection on these devices is that it will, <clears throat> of course, give you information about your, your use of the device, but it also gives the manufacturer you, you information about your use of the device. It is big brother. So it knows when you use it, where you use it, who other ICOS users were that 
you were using it with. That sounds kind of scary to me. Is, is that being known? Is, is is that information out there for the public? Do they? Uh, it's somewhat known, but it's only in this most recent generation that they've included the Bluetooth connection. So that's interesting. Yeah, we're probably as ignorant of this as we are of what some of these other devices that we use and track us all the time sure. are doing to us in our privacy. But in this case, it's delivering a an addicting substance. And again, this is tobacco, not a not a electronic juice or yeah. vapor. Well, these products sound like more like pharmaceutical devices. And are they made by pharmaceutical companies? Or you mentioned uh, tobacco industry companies. So is there a combination there? Or are these all being promoted by uh, tobacco companies? So <clears throat> for electronic cigarettes, it's all kinds of manufacturers. But some of the biggest names are tobacco companies. Uh, so... Uh, for example, um, Blue is one that you've seen advertised probably a lot. Blue is manufactured by Lorillard, and I can't remember the trade names of each of the others. Uh, I think Mark 10 is R.J. Reynolds. But some of the most recognizable names are, are um, tobacco, big mm -hmm. tobacco. Uh, Icos is Philip Morris International. So none of them are pharmaceutical. None of them are going through any safety efficacy. So they're not being marketed as products to help people quit, although that's sometimes implied in right. their advertisement. The other thing that about the heated product, so Icos in particular, Philip Morris also has applied for a modified risk tobacco product labeling. And so the FDA has held off on a decision on that. They've allowed the marketing to happen, so that's, that's going to occur now as of April 30th. But the modified risk tobacco product designation hasn't, hasn't been given them yet. So if they get that, they'll be able to actually make claims mm -hmm. about it reducing risk. And um, all of the information that the FDA has received is almost all of it is proprietary information provided by the tobacco companies in, 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 in this case, PMI and their research. And so I'm a skeptic mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> about their research. Are you an NP or PA looking to fulfill your 2019 CME and pharmacology credit requirements? We have designed our online inpatient medicine for NPs and PAs course just for you. Learn about treatment pathways from admission to discharge in an interactive case-based format. Visit ce.mayo.edu to get started on your credits now. Join us weekly here at Mayo Clinic Talks as we discuss best practices and burning questions. Subscribe today using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Well, you mentioned the FDA. What role does the FDA have <clears throat> in these new products? The FDA has regulatory authority over all tobacco products. Uh, the one thing they can't do is ban tobacco. Uh, only Congress could do that. Uh, but that regulatory authority extends to all tobacco products, including e-cigarettes. The FDA's mandate is to protect the public health. And so all they have to decide is that this would be in the public health interest to allow this to be marketed as a tobacco product, and that it's at least... Um, 
I think th this is my words, not as harmful or not more harmful than any of the tobacco products that are out there. So mm -hmm. it's a pretty low bar. It's not like a pharmaceutical yeah. approval. Well, what risks are known with these products? For, for the heated tobacco products, virtually none. So just a little bit of history. These were actually first marketed in some of the 1980s and then in the late 1990s. Uh, the tobacco companies marketed heated tobacco. They were test marketed and, and they never took hold. So they, they were dropped. Uh, the last one that was actually on the market was called Accord. Um, and I think it went off the market in the early 2000s. But the technology has improved a lot. And so we don't have data because the heated products have only been around for a few years, used widely only since about 2014 in other countries and not at all in the U.S. And although we have maybe 10 years of experience with electronic cigarettes, we all know that the natural experiment that was done with tobacco, how long it took us to figure mm -hmm. out what was going on, it took about 50 to 70 years for us to understand, oh my goodness, it causes lung cancer and heart disease and COPD. So we're early in the game, and we don't know how much harm these things might have. Mm -hmm. Are there other chemicals in these things we're inhaling? <clears throat> yes. So let me just talk about electronic cigarettes because there's more known. The kinds of chemicals that are in cigarettes compared with e-cigarettes, I mean, the, the, the chemical constituents, some of them are the same, but they're lower in e-cigarettes. You do get other chemicals that you don't get in standard cigarettes from electronic cigarettes, and you get those from the um, aerosolization of the vehicle. So electronic cigarette liquid has a vehicle that's generally a combination of propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin. Those are products that are generally considered safe for consumption, oral consumption. Mm -hmm. We eat them, and they are safe in that fashion. But when you aerosolize them at high temperatures, you start getting other chemicals. And so some of the things that you get uh, from e-cigarettes that you might not see in uh, combustible tobacco is uh, are aldehydes. So formaldehyde, acetaldehyde, and others. And you can see um, in the aerosol heavy metals. And that we think those are coming from the the heating elements inside the electronic cigarettes, which can get to very high temperatures. So uh, the, the nickel and um, other metals that are used uh, are vaporized, and you inhale them too, mm -hmm. and those can also be harmful to lung lining, and some of the chemicals can are carcinogens like formaldehyde. Yeah. But we may not know for many years the true risks of these devices. I absolutely think that's true. And so there are studies that are published with electronic cigarettes, for example, but they're already behind the game. So FDA is going to, has had uh, sponsored some studies that uh, are, I understand, are going to be published soon, but they were done with products that were available in 2013 and 14. That's ages ago <laughs> mm -hmm. in the life cycle of, of the electronic cigarette technology. So now we, we need to know what happens when a 16-year-old starts using a pod like Juul with very high nicotine levels and, and other toxicants that come from it 
and they do it every day for years, we don't know. We have no idea what's going to happen with mm -hmm. that. Are the manufacturers of these products saying anything about their use in pregnancy? Um, no, they'll make no claims. And I, th what we in the medical community ought to be saying is that we don't believe these products are safe at all to use during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't believe any of them make claims that they are safe. Um, they, they, mothers may feel that, um, who are pregnant may feel that, well, it must be safer than tobacco, but we have no idea. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's happened with the traditional tobacco products now that these things have been uh, increasing in popularity? So let me just speak to what happened in um, high school kids. It was a good news, bad news. So as electronic cigarettes became available, we started seeing a significant reduction in cigarette use, other combustible tobacco use among high school kids starting in 2011, really, we started seeing a downturn and it continued to go down. There was a startling increase in the use of electronic cigarettes starting in about 2011 through 2015. And 2016, and uh, it went down. We thought, oh, we can breathe a sigh of relief. In 2017, it, it stayed at about that same level as 2016. And in 2018, it exploded. In fact, the, the use of electronic cigarettes by kids almost doubled mm -hmm. in, in the course of a year. And most of all of that was due to the pod devices, particularly Juul. So tobacco use in kids has gone down. <laughs> E-cigarette use has gone up and continues to go up really at startling levels. In adults, uh, t current tobacco use prevalence for cigarettes in the United States is probably in the 14 to 15% range. Um, a little bit higher in men than in women but it's not evenly distributed in the U.S. So we're in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. In our state, uh, we have a prevalence of about 14%. We're in the low end. Uh, other states are also low. The lowest prevalence is in California, Utah, some of the western states where they're actually approaching 10% or slightly below. But there are other states where the prevalence is still 26, 27%. It was like Minnesota was 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So West Virginia, Mississippi, Alabama, Kentucky, North Carolina, some of the traditional tobacco-producing states, and mostly in the southeast U.S., we see very high levels. And, and the last thing I'd say is it's not evenly distributed across our population among adults. Uh, look at it in many different ways, but the, the one I would mention is that among people with serious mental illness, prevalence of smoking is still extraordinarily high. So you probably recognize it in your practice and many of your colleagues in primary care recognize it. If you have somebody who's had serious persisting mental illness, the chances that she or he will be smoking are extremely high. If you have psychotic illnesses, if you're schizophrenic, the prevalence is probably 60%, mm -hmm. 70%. Bipolar disorder, 50 to 60%. So it's not evenly distributed and increasingly tobacco use in adults is, is more seen in vulnerable populations. Uh, than in people who are uh, middle class, have high school, college education, and, and higher. Mm -hmm. Okay. There are individuals who claim that these devices have helped them stop smoking. Uh, is there any research to back that up? Yes, there is a little bit. <clears throat> and, of course, that's the big hope, right, that 
if we could get all adults who use combustible tobacco, cigarettes, traditional cigarettes, if we could get them all to shift to these electronic devices, not the heated tobacco, that might be a good thing because it looks like the risk ought to be lower. Again, we don't have all the data. Uh, certainly exposure to many of the harmful chemical chemicals looks like it's lower, and that should translate into lower risk of disease. There are a few small studies that have looked at uh, helping people stop smoking. The most recent one was published just a couple of months ago in the New England Journal of Medicine. It compared um, electronic cigarettes to a choice of nicotine replacement product. They got to choose a patch, gum, lozenge, some of the things that we have. And they found that, in fact, people who used e-cigarettes were able to stop smoking more frequently than people who used the nicotine replacement products. At the end of a year, they looked to see how many people were still using products. And so nicotine replacement, fewer than 10% of people were still using it. Uh, for the e-cigarette group, 80% um, plus were still using it at the end of a year. So it was something that the smokers liked. The question that we have is, in the long run, will they continue to just use e-cigarettes or will they go to what most adults do, which is dual use? They mm -hmm. smoke cigarettes and they use e-cigarettes periodically, and that's not a good solution. Yeah. And so we don't know. A little bit of evidence that they might help, and at the population level, we just don't know. The other thing I'd say is, for, for physicians, we, we, get, we get stuck because... How do we advise patients who um, want to know uh, that something is safe and effective, right? Well, we know it might work. Mm -hmm. We know there are unanswered safety concerns. And so do we advise patients to use those products when we don't know? However, we're, <laughs> we're looking at our patients who are smoking cigarettes and we say, well, I know that that's really harmful. So we're really caught in a very hard position and there's been this ongoing debate between public health experts and clinicians. And I think the debate is all surrounds our position, our, the context in which we work. When you and I meet with patients, we are acting as fiduciary to the patient. Everything I do is in your best interest. Public health experts look at the population. <laughs> they don't have a one particular interest is not that patient in front of them. And so they can say, well, if we made these switches, it would probably be good for the population. Now, it might not be good for Mr. Smith and Mr. Jones, and they might have problems. But for the population at large, this would be a good thing. We don't know the answer to that question either yet. Okay. Still a lot of ground to cover with this, and we're going to have to have you back, Taylor, to talk more about this. We've been discussing electronic nicotine delivery systems with Dr. Taylor Hayes an internist and director of the Nicotine Dependence Center at Mayo Clinic. Taylor, thanks for sharing your expertise with us. Pleasure to be here. Join us here weekly at Mayo Clinic Talks. You can access and listen to over 60 different podcasts covering a variety of medical topics pertinent to the primary care provider. Subscribe today using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.